for our work, we try and simplify and write down. So uh, we make it one medium, uh, one material, one concept. We spend a lot of time taking out the complexities and confusions that we, we've got in ourselves in order to create something that's very simple and very accessible uh, with people. And that, that is a fascinating thing to do, to see people come in. Uh, and if you're in a church, it's really interesting that traditional church space and you present something that's a contemporary, minimalist piece of art um, or a conceptual piece of art. But you've got, to, you've got to allow people that sense of respond as you are and who you are, for your response matters. What we've done is so that you can respond and your response really matters to us because you matter to us. That's what the art should communicate. I feel that's the calling of art, is to say that this matters. This feeling, this expression, this piece, this song, this piece of poetry, um, this object, um, because it matters. It matters because God loves it, and God's made it, and God matters. And you matter to God as well. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Emerging Emmaus podcast, podcast in which we're exploring the journey, the journey of faith, the journey with Jesus, thinking of that passage in the Gospels where we hear about them, the two disciples walking the path, starting in a place of disappointment and discouragement, but journeying towards hope. And uh, I said another episode, uh, if you missed the last couple, eight, go back and listen to them. We had a fantastic episode with Tommy McNeil last time, and before that with our friends from Granton Parish Church, really worth listening to. But uh, today we've got a real treat in store for you too. But uh, first of all, I should say uh, I'm Steve Aisthorpe. I'm one of the hosts today, and I have two collaborators with me. I have Neil Urquhart from Fullerton and Irvine. And hello, it's Ruth Kennedy, uh, Pioneer Minister with the Under 40s in Dunblane. Great to be back with you. And as well as our team of hosts, we are so blessed today to have with us two people who, in my mind, they're, they're people for whom faith and, and the arts are really intertwined. So we have uh, Fiona Stewart, who's founder and creative director of Foolproof Creative Arts in Glasgow. And we have uh, Peter Gardner, Reverend Peter Gardner, Church of Scotland minister and minister to the visual arts community in Glasgow. So we're really looking forward to hearing from you, Fiona and Peter. Maybe you could just introduce yourself a little bit, starting starting with you, Fiona. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this. It's great. So sort of Glasgow representation from me and Peter this afternoon, or today, whenever you're listening. Yeah, I, I'm Fiona Stewart. You mentioned Foolproof. So I'm the creative director of an organisation called Foolproof Creative Arts, which aims to bring foolishness, but also wisdom. And we could maybe talk about that later on. I've been doing that for about 12 years. Um, but I also have, I suppose, like a lot of creatives, a, a fairly portfolio-based career. So most of it, I realised, I wrote it down earlier, so I've got it on a piece of paper. I wrote down that really a lot of it involves words. So I'm involved in radio, podcasting, voiceover work, acting, speaking, performance poetry, uh, all sorts of things that, that come along to basically pay the bills, but also do what I believe the Lord has called me to do. Uh, I came from a youth work background. I did that for 10 years and then I went off to train as an actor in my 30s. And since then, I've, I've um, 
come back to Scotland, having trained down south, uh, set up Foolproof originally as a theatre company, but it, it's broadened out into something that's more about the, the arts in general. Oh, that's great. Well, we'll hear more as we, as we go on, Fiona. Thank you. But um, Peter, could you just introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. It's really good to be here. Uh, thanks for inviting me on board. Um, Peter Gardner is my name. Steve already introduced me, Church of Scotland Minister. I was a parish minister for 28, 29 years, um, two parishes, uh, and City Centre of Glasgow was the last parish. And since uh, 2016, I've been working as a pioneer minister. I was called to work as a pioneer minister among the visual arts communities of Glasgow. Um, we have a little studio in the Brigate in the east end of Glasgow, in our east end. And uh, part of my work is to run an art practice along with my wife. We call ourselves Gardner and Gardner. Officially, I'm and Gardner in the two of us. And <laughs> the, two, the two of us make in art terms are called site-specific temporary installations, often in sacred spaces. So we imagine and create um, installations, sculptural forms, things that bring some sort of contemporary art practice often into churches and into sacred spaces, but not always. Sometimes universities, sometimes in secular buildings, galleries. Uh, and the idea is that we have a cultural outreach into the world and we discover the presence of God in the world and we try and hold on to that and help people to be attentive to that. And that's our form of pioneer ministry. There's also a lovely arts community that rolls around Studio 118 in the Brigate. And uh, that's another part of our mission and part of our, our lovely outreach for meeting all these wonderful artists and, and sharing time with them. Great. Oh, thanks, Peter. Yeah, looking forward to hearing hearing more about that too. I mean, when we were talking about who to get onto this podcast, we thought it would be great to have um, people who were involved in in the arts, and and your names came up uh, pretty quickly in in that conversation. And then, as we've mentioned, we're wanting to explore this journey of uh, from grief to hope, this journey of lament. And I didn't fully realize until I, I started uh, looking more into your own work, both both of you, Fiona and Peter, how central those themes actually have been in your uh, in your work, especially in, in recent years. So I just wonder, Fiona, I mean, do you feel that the arts have a particular role in helping us on that journey? And, and what might that be? I think I, I once went to a theatre um, masterclass at, at the Traverse and, and it was a Q&A thing and somebody was asking about, you know, the purpose of, of playwriting and, and whether there's always something. And, and I remember the person said, I can't actually remember who it was, said that you cannot write a piece of theatre. And, and I think this extends to any art form. You cannot write a piece of theatre without raising a question about the human condition. And, and I believe that fundamentally believe that whatever your art form is and however, I suppose, however light it might appear on the surface, there is something about when you choose to make a mark, write a word, speak a word that, 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 that first of all, delves into our own creativity as humans made in the image of a creative God, but also begins to, to wrestle with questions of what it means to be alive, what it means to be human. So, so yes, I, I do think there's lament as part of that, because the, the human experience is, is is both joyful and hopeful and lamentful. And actually, I think I think certainly the last few years, one of the things I've really come to wrestle with is that these two things sit together really very 
closely. I think I find that interplay really interesting. Um, and I mentioned foolproof. One of the the um, the, the stimulus, I suppose, for the the name was was in First Corinthians one, where Paul talks about the foolishness shaming the wise. And again, it's that it's that uh, contrast, isn't it, of foolishness and wisdom? We think of as different things, but God's foolishness confounds the wise of the world. And and I think there's something similar in when we go to the place of human condition and lament and reality. As as Christians, you know, as we plumb those depths, what we what we hit is that that rock that that we can then set our <laughs> set our feet on and and, and look towards hope I don't think hope is hope is not lightly won so yeah I, th I think there's a there's an interplay and certainly I think the last couple of years in the reality of what we're living through through the pandemic through the, the current situation it means that anything I I find myself writing or producing it, it, it it's wrestling with some of those questions because it's the reality of what we're going through I think yeah and what, what about yourself Peter I think one of the gifts that any kind of art has for us is that um, artists choose to be authentically attentive to the world around them, to focus on things that um, many of us will shy away from. So lament is a human response to the world being dissonant and our experience of the world being hard. I think it was N.T. Wright who said something like that, lament brings the pain of the world into the presence of God. Great thought of what mm. lamenting for the way the world pains us, uh, mm. and it can pain can be in all kinds of ways. Artists don't shy away from that. Mm -hmm. um, we are quite happy to to look at it. Uh, not happy is the wrong word. We're willing to look at it and stay with that and with people who experience it. One of our art installations uh, we called it "Scented Lament." Was at the tail end of the COVID lockdowns, December 2020, the turn of the year into 2021. Uh, and we'd asked people to um, cut a, a piece of rosemary, the herb of remembrance, and send it to us. And we made a, a wreath out of it that was displayed around Glasgow. And the wreath was seven foot in diameter. So it was a big, big wreath uh, and this huge smell. It was a wonderful scent of remembering in, in our studio. But what was fascinating and, and telling was the response. Uh, people sent us notes. Uh, along with their cut rosemary or rosemary they bought and the act of cutting the rosemary mm. for them became a moment of expression of what they were feeling all they've been holding on to and unable to express um, mm. so they can look back on that moment and hold it as a moment of lament and when the, the piece was brought together it became a collective lament and I think the expressing of lament is vital um, to move on to hope before we found ways to express sometimes the unexpressible. And that's where visual art does its thing. Uh, it enables us to express the inexpressible words, things we can't say, but we really feel. And grief sometimes feels just like that. Can I just come in on that? Because I, Peter, I, I contributed to that wreath. <laughs> and it's interesting because as you're speaking about it, I realise I didn't manage to see the finished product. And I'm using that word you know carefully but there was something about the process of cutting the rosemary I think I wrote you yeah, we know I can't remember what I said on it but I think it you know it had been significant the very act of doing it even without reaching the end point and I think that's quite a significant idea to think about you know I think about that in in terms of writing theatre or writing 
poetry that it's not always about the product or the mm-hmm. or the, the performance it, it's often the process itself and particularly when we, be, we begin to widen out the discussion to people who maybe wouldn't be working professionally in in the arts but who recognize they've got some creativity within them there's something about the process of of mm-hmm. doing art in whatever form that that is healing it allows a space for lament it it opens something up for them it, yeah anyway i just thought that was the rosemary was great. Yeah. I think the thing about allowing space and time is really fascinating because I think that's often what art does. If you think of setting words to music so that the hearing of them and the singing of them slow it down so we can respond to them in a different way, people go to art galleries and the same thing happens. They take time or people listen to a concert and you, you, you give time over to things other than the immediate thoughts in front of you. And out of your depths comes something like a lament or a thanksgiving or a joy or something. All these things are very closely related, I think. But there is something about the role of art, like the role of worship, um, it allows people to step aside and slow down and find a different, maybe an emotional or a spiritual rhythm deep within them that the pace of the world sometimes doesn't allow and and peter a lot of your work is in sacred spaces mm. I, I wonder about the role that role that you've just been describing of art generally in life what about that role in the life of the church just now where where we find ourselves in the church in scotland yeah it's it's a challenging thought where we are in the church in scotland at the moment i think the two things have to be if if lament is a response to looking at the world and its pain square in the face, the reality of it, not avoiding it, but accepting, not even accepting, but just looking at it and what it makes us feel. And I think art can help us do that. It can help us look at the reality and say, okay, this is where we are. This is what we're faced with. Um, Here's what is being shaken, and this is what being shaken feels like. One of our projects, uh, Peacemakers, this is a seven-foot diameter French knitting loom, um, uh, which allows people to come to a space and all we do is we knit and we listen and we wait for them. We wait for the visitors to come in and God brings them. <laughs> Who knows how that happens? Well, I suspicion the Holy Spirit's at work and, and people come in and we just listen to their stories. And as we listen, often it's a lament that's expressed and I can hear in the way that the Bible talks about the sheep can recognize my voice, says Christ. We can hear in the voice of people who are talking, hear the voice of God speaking to them in their own voices. Sometimes they're expressing a lament, but within it there's the seed of God's presence and the seed of hope. Um, sometimes a wee glimmer, but no more than that. But I think we've got to allow people time to express and find ways to express. Maybe that's where the variety of the arts can help us to find time to express something of the pain that people are feeling in the church at the moment. I'm wondering about the the left side, you know, right side of our brains. And, you know, if we think of the left side being the, you know, the the mastery or the, we like to have all our ducks in a row, um, everything in order, and our right side as being the creative, um, learn, you know, able to, to live with mystery and mess, um, what I'm aware of is that, I mean, I think of someone in my congregation who is very much, uh, you know, into the, the left side and uh, likes, doesn't like mess, 
you know, likes to know what's happening next, you know, a few days before sort of thing. But but she went with us to uh, the Beald, which is you know a retreat centre, and she entered into the the create, creative space there, the art space that they have there that you might have been to before yourselves, and and she was blown over. She was taken into this side of her being and dimension uh, of living that that she'd never really exposed herself to. And she found herself creating something that gobsmacked her and gobsmacked us all because it expressed something that was really within her um, and allowed her to tell a truth that she hadn't been able to tell until then. And I think of myself in a situation where uh, we, we used clay to, to, to connect with something in my past and, and I was in uncontrollable sobs. The folk had to gather around me and, and, and comfort me because uh, I was connecting with pain of my past. Um, and, and so I'm resonating with, with what you're talking about. But I wonder, is, you know, there will be people who have already switched this podcast off because they're, 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 they're very much left-sided and, and, oh, I'm no into that, creative junk. Or have, have you been able to engage with 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 people who are more you know left-sided or, or, or is that something that that you found impossible or or what i'm not sure about the left right side right side thing i, I i'm not i'm not saying i disagree, disagree with it entirely but i i kind of think there's a common misperception that misconception that artists are all a bit kind of woo-woo and not very organized whereas most organized most artists i know who make a living at it have to be quite, have to be quite right, uh, left-brained at points however uh, yeah you're absolutely right the kind of analytical creative thing I think there's there's a diversity one of the things I started doing during the second lockdown was I set myself I, I had already started writing poetry that kind of came from nowhere I've always been a script writer you know I've, I've done a lot of kind of functional writing um, but in the last four or five years I've started writing poetry and it has it really has Peter described the loom as being the holy spirit thing it feels like it's a Holy Spirit thing for me. It's a gifting. Um, but I had been writing, for a while I've been writing poems and I've been putting them out on the internet and, and putting a hashtag, Poems of Hope. So if anybody wants to search hashtag Poems of Hope, you'll find some of those. But during the second lockdown, I decided I would set myself the challenge of writing a poem a week. Partly, to be honest, because it was a good discipline for me to, to, to make sure I had creative tasks that I was still doing. And partly because it allowed me, a bit like you're describing there, Neil, to process something not a, 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 an analytical thinking level. It was a it was a bit of an antidote to all the news feed that I was looking at. So I started writing these poems. I started hashtagging them, poem of hope, etc. Put them out onto my social media. And what was fascinating to me was the number of people who, some of whom I knew, some of whom I didn't, who would not necessarily say they were particularly artistic people or creative people. Um, but they were responding. So they were saying, oh, there was something that, that resonated for me or that was really helpful for me today or that made me think about my situation or, or made me think about, about hope within it, which then, you know, I kind of then fed off that. So, so I wonder if it's a slowly, slowly. <laughs> so what you described of that lady, maybe it's a, you know, here's the art room. There's no pressure on you to do anything. If you just want to do a stick drawing, if you don't want to engage, with, that's absolutely fine. But they, But it's there, that's the offering is there. And I think sometimes as people who work in the creative fields, we can be a little bit precious about our art and, you know, we, we can be a bit perfectionist about it instead of saying, well, where are the ways we can open a gate for somebody to maybe explore that aspect of their of their brain, of their personality? 
And then talking about the poems, I've then, during COP26, again, because I'm in Glasgow, because it was happening just, you know, a few miles down the road, I thought, I need to do something here. What can I do? Well, I can write poems. Okay, I'll write a poem. I'll write a poem a day during COP. And, and I just put out the idea, does anybody want to join me and do this? And suddenly, lots of people joined in writing writing their poems. And some of them were extraordinary. You could be published. Some of them were maybe not publishable, <laughs> but but that didn't matter because it was it was people processing and and using creativity to to kind of say something to the world, I guess. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answers answers the question. Yeah, it's, it's helpful. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the whole right brain, left brain, or different kind of characteristics and way people think because people think in so many different ways. Um, one of the, one of my responses would be that when we make an artwork and place it in a church, um, we always invigilate the work. So we are there with it. So it's interesting. We get to see people's responses and and uh, live with people's responses and share them, which is a real privilege. Um, but our work, we try and simplify and write down. So uh, we make it one medium, uh, one material, one concept. We spend a lot of time taking out the complexities and confusions that we, we've got in ourselves in order to create something that's very simple and very accessible with people and that, that is a fascinating thing to do to see people come in uh, and if you're in a church it's really interesting that, that um, especially if you're in a traditional church space and you present something that's a contemporary minimalist piece of art um, or a conceptual piece of art um, it stands out and people want to think about it especially people who are left-brained the folk who think analytically because they can pick up on the dissonance so quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes most, some of the most interesting conversations mm-hmm. begin with that dissonance, um, that sense, oh, this is, this is different, what's going on here? And people wanting to think it through. But as for me, as a, somebody who sits with the art pieces and listening to people, the listening and allowing people to respond as they respond is, is, is fascinating. People respond in different ways. Some people start crying uh, almost immediately beside it, and you know there's something deeply going on. Um, other people, they start asking lots and lots of questions about what they should do and what they shouldn't do here around this piece. We take them away from that and allow them to think deeply about what they're analysing. So there has to be lots of different routes to, for people to respond, as well as to make. I mean, Involving people in, in co-creation or involving people in the making of something is one strategy. It's a really good strategy to help people open up. But just seeing the way people respond and allowing them to respond. Mm. So people want to turn off the podcast. Say that's fine. That's 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 fine. Don't don't worry about it. Um, maybe next week will be even better for you. Um, <laughs> but you've got to, you've got to allow people that sense of respond as you are and who you are for your response matters. What we've done is so that you can respond and your response really matters to us because you matter to us. That's what the art should communicate. Um, I feel that's the calling of art is to say that this matters. This feeling, this expression, this piece, this song, this piece of poetry, um, this object, um, because it matters. It matters because God loves it and God's made it and God matters. And you matter to God as well. I think some of it's linguistic as well, isn't yeah. it? So I was thinking as you were speaking there about the language of invitation. So I, I just before the pandemic hit, 
did a, a four weekend course in drama therapy and that's something I'm quite interested in pursuing and a lot of that is about embodiment and it's it's that thing of the body responds even when your your brain hasn't mm. quite clocked what's going on but but one of the things on a very practical level that I took away from from attending the course was the language was very invitational so there was never pressure on you to do anything it was always very the invitation is choose something in the room do what you like with that the invitation is to share or not share and it struck me how having grown up and still you know sitting in a kind of evangelical church I grew up church Scotland I'm now Baptist you know I, I operate in a kind of quite a thinking based um Christian environment so often our language is not invitational <laughs> it's instructive <laughs> mm. and Jesus is invitational yeah isn't he it's always it's always the invitation to come and see with, with the peacemakers project um we were in St Mary's Episcopal Cathedral in Edinburgh in the summer and I can think of one man who approached the peacemakers living and kept a distance then went off and wandered around this massive cathedral and 10 minutes later he came back and he looked again and wandered around again and finally came back and I, the invitation as you said Fiona it's an invitational would you like to make a stitch and he started very tentatively but what was amazing was just watching him three or four stitches in, his shoulders relax, his, as he realised what he was doing, his smile appeared in his lips, his eyes kind of went bright, and he just kept going for about 20 minutes, stitching away. So something had happened with him that bridged that sense of reluctance and not getting involved. And it's a wonderful thing, but it's to do with the gentleness of invitation, of having an open door, an open space. Um, and one of the the challenges, I think, for us in the Church of Scotland uh, is finding these open spaces. That's going to be a challenge over the next decade of choosing which open spaces we use and maintaining ones that can be open uh, mm -hmm. for all people to come into. Uh, you, Neil, you know all about that down where you are. So it, it's, a, it's a challenge for all of us. But having that open invitation really matters. Yeah. Ruth, Ruth, I'm wondering how you're hearing this with your particular passion for the, the under 40s and what you're doing there in, in Dunblane. Yeah, I, I am bowled over actually with your passion for art and just you speak about it. Both of you are talking about it in such a way that there's there's a love for how you express the creativity of God in you and how you want to pull that out of others. And um how I express my creativity is is not um, in the typical art form at all. I'm far more inclined to uh, jump on a bike or um, jump in muddy puddles and and speak in, in sermons or conversations and addresses as a form of creativity. Um, but I really love it when there are those gifts of the sculptures and the artworks and the installations and um, and I, one of the reasons why I, I love that is, Peter, you said it, it creates time to delve into the deeper things. And when we're thinking about, when, or when I'm thinking about the under 40s as well, there's a lot of us that are time, time crushed. Some might call it time poor. And I think what I would notice is that a, a, um, an art installation or creating that space, as you were talking about, demands attention in a time of life where 
time is a precious commodity, mm. but there's such reward. And I'm just wondering what kind, you had talked about responses from people. What would you would you call their responses rewards to engaging with that space and time, or would you describe it as something else? I think I'd describe them as gifts. I regard the artwork as as given. It's a gift. Um, and we make them because we have to make them. They're given, and it feels like they have to be given to everyone else. Um, and when people respond, I think that's another gift. Um, so it, some theologians talk about cascades of grace, um, and that's what the art feels like, and the response feels like another piece of grace, cascading like a waterfall spreading out, and seeing the, seeing the response it, when it's rich, even if it's negative as well as positive, it was a rich response. Um, for me, that feels like, yes, we've managed to do what we're asked to do, what we're given to do. Um, so it feels like it gives more back and people's responses can be a gift, uh, hopefully a gift to them, uh, certainly not have to be a gift to us. I, th I think the language of that is really lovely. Um, I was thinking about the fact that the world I operate in, because I, I meet a lot of performers and people who are, you know, they, 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 they're up front and they're looking to some extent for response. <laughs> and, and I think as a performer, you know, you need to be so careful. I work with a lot of younger performers. You need to be so careful about your motivations around some of that stuff and where your heart's at. You need to kind of guard your heart. And, and it, what it can lead to is, and I think this is true of people in other art forms too, it can lead to quite a... A, gr a grippiness for a bit, want of a better word you know you hold on tightly to the work that you get because you know that when you go to an audition you're up against 15 other people who look the same as you do and you need to win the job so I think that language of of grace of generosity is oh that's that's got something really interesting to say into this whole piece hasn't it because I think we, we what we've done in general terms is we've commodified creativity so we've commodified it into what you can sell what you can exhibit you know number of likes you can get on social media and so on but but I I think from you know knowing quite a lot of under 40s I, I think there's a bit of a fight back a kickback against that and I wonder if the the generosity grace conversation is one that's actually quite appealing mm. to people who've grown up in an age of social media so you know me at 51 I'm still a bit daft about how I use it and I'm a bit indiscriminate and a bit rubbish but I, th I think what I recognize in my friends who are in their 20s and 30s particularly is there's a there's a a choice maybe to disengage from things there's a choice perhaps to pursue slower activities you know so whether that's around um slow food or or uh, you know pursuing particular craft forms to a, a, a you know a really intense level do you know I wonder if there's a there's a kickback and a and a, a and a goes against the culture sort of feel to that because the, because there is a commodification. I feel I'm going to kind of slightly crunch the gears in the conversation now because we, the, we, we've been talking in quite a quite a gentle way about uh, engagement with art and creation of art and things. But I notice in in both of your work there are aspects of it that are quite provocative. I'm thinking of your, your work with, with Tear Fund, Fiona, for example, and uh, and Peter, your and Heidi's installation at, at, at COP26, perhaps. And it, it, am I right? Is that the right word, provocative, that sometimes art has that role of kind of grabbing attention and, and confronting us with something that might not always be comfortable? I wonder if the good way to reflect on something like that would be, as Rowan Williams has a lovely phrase, said, the best art 
uh, doesn't just disturb or provoke, but it expands our thinking, our experience of the world. Um, so for, for us, that's what we attempt to do. If it's a piece that has a, um, an element that's critical in it or an element that's prophetic in it, it can't just be that. It has to also expand a little bit, take people, allow people to go further than just react against or feel um, challenged by it. The piece at six was uh, in Glasgow Cathedral, um, 122 old cathedral seats that were no longer used. We found in a, um, what was, it's called the Black Adder Isle, but it was a beautiful Gothic white painted space. We arranged them in 61 pairs of uh, competing chairs. So they were kind of one balanced on the other and looked like they were battling together. And so there were 61 chairs filled this space 61 pairs filled this space and uh, two chairs were re-woven in a bright yellow baler twine on the seats. And two people could sit on those ones and they could talk to each other. And they told, called the piece, I will learn to sit with you and I will learn to listen. And it was a reflection on the experience of power and powerlessness reflected in the COP, the, the, the conference of, of parties uh, discussions. I met lots of people who were delegates who came into the cathedral and found this reflection uh, and spoke with us about how it resonated with what they'd experienced going to the, the big conference events and the big debates that were happening. And all we did was allow it to uh, give them room to express so that it expanded their thinking about what they were experiencing and hopefully expanded some people who were more closed. Um, to the idea of climate change into thinking about our power and powerlessness as they work together. So it's critique and giving people a way forward so that it expands the whole conversation rather than just as provocative. I think that's, for me, that's the ideal. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, so helpful. I think it brings us back to where we began in talking about, you know, an artist names the reality of something and in lament, that's what happens, isn't it? The, the pattern mm. of lament is that the reality, you bring your complaint, that's the, the heart of the lament, isn't it? With the view that that as you make your complaint to God, there's a there's actually a deep faith in that, that, that he is listening to the complaint and that he is a God who's active. So I, I think that maybe plays into how I would see that. So thinking about that tear fund piece that you mentioned, that was a um, it was called "Let's Change the Climate," and it, it was a it was a COP twenty six related project. And I think for me, some of that came out of a recognition that there's a lot of hopelessness in the climate conversation, but there's also a lot of avoidance. So I wanted to name the the complaint that we've actually we've brought ourselves to this point, but I didn't want to just leave it there because because that's where everybody who's a climate activist is 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 coming at the the discussion i wanted to to lift people's eyes and say well there is hope though because let well let's get on our knees and pray about this let let's invite god into this let's repent of how we've lived you know there there, there is something hopeful and so so i i hope with that piece and, and with a lot of what i write i hope it doesn't just you know come quite glibly to that point but i think you need to go down into the into the depth of the complaint and the reality of the situation in order to, to bring the hope from it. Gosh, we could we could spend so long talking about this stuff, and I, there's so much we haven't touched on. And I would really encourage listeners to this podcast to to look at uh, the Foolproof website and to look uh, Gardner and Gardner, or I think the Church of Scotland website has actually reported on on quite a few of your installations, Peter. Yes. 
um, yours and Heidi's installations. There's some some good pictures there as well because some of the things like the um, uh, the scented lament that you mentioned, the big the big reef. You know, I was looking at pictures of, of that last night. It's very moving actually to see that and to know what it is and to see it in different contexts. So I'd encourage people to to look at some of that stuff. Um, but I, I just want to, as we, we time's coming towards the end here, just go around and ask uh, Ruth and, and Neil what what are the kind of nuggets you're taking away from this this conversation. I've been struck with so much of what you've both said, and I'm so thankful for you sharing um, everything that you have done. So today, I, I just feel as Steve was saying, we're getting a scratch at the at the top actually of where we could possibly go with our conversation today. But what I am taking away is the boldness, the brave and the courage that is there in art and your work in ministry, not to uh, run away from that place of lament, but to be there and to find the hope. For me, it's, 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 I've been reminded and pointed towards using art more in relationship to uh, overcoming denial, I think. I think I remember Murray Watts, uh, the, you know, the playwright, and um, he, he. I remember him talking about how often in the arts there's a truth telling that goes on that doesn't happen in the church. And I think the role of arts in in the church, you know, so so in our churches, and I, and and I'm thinking of my own church, you know, we do use the art to to arts, but I don't think we use it enough to really help us to to tell the truth and mm -hmm. to explore the truth so that, that's that's been a help that's been a, a peril for me thanks yeah and i think the thing i'm taking away myself is that we, we talked a bit about um how art provides a space and a time for for stuff to happen and for people to have encounters and yes yeah, so often we're in situations that don't invite us to slow down don't invite us give us that opportunity to to be authentic and to kind of you know be be honest about where we're at and things so thank you so much to to both of you and yeah maybe we can get you back sometime because i feel there's a long way for this conversation to go um but yeah thank you and thanks for the gifts that you bring uh to the church and and to the country with with your different uh podcasts and installations and things and and thank you for the gift you've you brought us in, into this, this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, yes. In your neighbourhood, trudge two dumped Jesus friends, drowning before dawning, moving through a maze of misery to an amazing Emmaus encounter. Emerging Emmaus. Good grief, our dream is dead. Going home instead, comfort of my bed. Good grief, the pain. Hope hard to sustain, love down the drain. Good grief, where have you been? What we've seen, blown to smithereens. Good grief, how our hearts burned, our minds turned, or all we learned. Good grief, don't go away, come in to stay. You've shown the way. Good grief, how he broke the bread with hands that bled, then disappeared. Good grief, Jesus alive? No need to strive, chance to thrive, Jesus alive. Good grief, no time to waste, now we have a taste to Jerusalem with haste.
emerging Emmaus. A well-kent lament echoes through the years. How long? How long? Good as is the grieving process, may it be a means to access visions and dreams of Christ's kingdom come. Emmaus, emerge from the gloom. Come, Holy Spirit, come. So for future podcasts, join us via the Sanctuary First website, Facebook page and app, and also via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Come on, tune in.